Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast and looking at each other during. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We've not broken quarantine. We're using modern telephony to look at each other during. We've been hearing all of these other podcasts struggle with this and we thought, you know, Sure. Why don't we struggle with it too? Yeah. (laughs) Why not unnecessarily jump into that Viper's Pit of technology? The difference between our podcast and other podcasts, though, is that we're such anal retentive freaks that if there's lag on this, we're going to go through and individually edit every single bit of audio that that has gaps in it. It's true. To to take the lag out. Yeah. So it it will be imperceptible to the listeners, but we may have just made a real a real headache for ourselves i mean i'm asking myself why we would do such a thing and in looking at you i know why it's worth it (laughs) it's worth it to see what's happened to you ben harrison (laughs) uh i've i've never seen you with longer hair i think you look great I think you should keep growing it out. I look like I'm heading toward the end of my first semester of college. Like I've never lived away from my parents before. And I've just been eating nothing but breakfast cereal and burgers in the dining hall. <laughs> I'm, I am a mess right now. <laughs> it's worth it seeing that crazed look in your eyes. <laughs> you look great. You look like you've been, uh, you've been keeping yourself in good shape. I wouldn't say that. Remember, I don't have to shave every day. Right. And uh, and I guess for some reason my hair grows slower. But you know what? Here's the thing. Your haircut and my haircut are very different in that when your hair gets longer, it goes over the front. And as my hair grows, it goes over the back. <laughs> this is the difference in styling that, that benefits me and, and hinders you, I think. Yeah. I've never been more tempted to just uh, to just buzz it, you know? I've been I'm, thinking the same. I've had dark thoughts. It's like... I don't want to look like a white supremacist, but I'm also not really going outside that much, so yeah, <laughs> there wouldn't really be anyone to see me looking terrible. I don't think I would be any more or less laughable looking if I were to look like a space monkey. <laughs> I think it's I think it's neutral if yeah. I, if I just put that number three guard on and just hit it. I don't <laughs> I don't have the equipment for that. Ben, I don't, I don't think my body trimmer would be able to take on what my head is producing. You're going to use the same trimmer on your hair as you use on your nuts? That's gross! <laughs> you fucking pew beard fuck. Yeah, you pew beard fuck. What's the matter with you? I can't do that. I actually don't really care about that at all. That's just nasty, man. What the fuck? I mean, yeah, you're a famous tub pissman. How dare you? You're mixing it all up, Ben. You are so fucking uptight if you've never pissed in a tub. I piss in the shower all the time while it's running. While it's running. <laughs> I prescribe to the Forrest Gump rule of, of, uh-huh. of shower urination. I pres- prescribe to the rule of piss and showers go together like peas and carrots. <laughs> See, the show is going so much better already. I think, I think seeing each other is is bringing the bits out of us. Yeah, yeah, it's really going great. Do you want to get into the episode? <laughs> I, you know what? I can see that you really mean that. So I think we we might have to. Let's get into Deep Space Nine, season six, episode nine, S sixty nine. Ben, nice. Oh shit! I didn't even notice that. Statistical probabilities. We get an Anson Williams director credit here. Ben, are you familiar with the great Anson Williams, the actor from Happy Days? He played Patsy. This is someone that, I mean, if we don't call attention to this, friend of the podcast Bill Tilly will exc- He'll divorce us. excoriate us. I mean, I never watched Happy Days. That that predates my syndicated television consumption. I'm not uh-huh. sure if you ever watched it, but uh, uh, 
No, I don't think I did. I'm going to be uh, like kicking the side of my computer as we edit this thing. <laughs> to get the waveforms to go. Yeah. Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, we've got some really uh, poorly adjusted folks uh, have, have made a trip to Deep Space Nine. And uh, we come to understand that this is a group of people. They've got like a like a Starfleet medical person talking to them about why they've come to Deep Space Nine. Um, but uh, we, we come to understand that these are, are mutants segregated out of society. They're not considered uh, capable of taking care of themselves and or are a danger to themselves and others. So, uh, so they live apart from society under supervision, and this lady is their supervisor. You know how there's like 10 different versions of the X-Men with like a, a descriptive word before the title, oh, yeah, like yeah. the uncanny X-Men, the unbelievable <laughs> X-Men. These are the unpopular X-Men. <laughs> they really are. Uh, their mutant powers are not cool. No, uh, they're not. They're very boring. Um but uh, they're here to meet Bashir. He's just like them. Are they the resentful X-Men? Because that's a big part of their whole deal too, right? Maybe that's just <laughs> Jack's deal. Yeah, Jack is uh, Jack is very resentful. Uh, who do we got? I am got, Jack's sense of resentment. We've got uh, Jack, Patrick, Serena, and Lauren. Right. And they're all... They, they have uh, different different styles. Jack is, uh, is very... Is, is sort of the front man of the operation. He's the most outspoken of them, and uh, he's... Uh, They've he's, turned toward the improv audience and asked for uh, different character traits, yeah, and these are the yeah. first four that the audience gave. Jack is a real ranter. He, he rants and raves. Uh, Lauren is a, a sex pot who always seems to be in a reposed position in a bed that is in the middle of the room. Uh, Patrick is kind of the kind of the pack-led body type, but <laughs> but a mind the size of a planet. Poor Jack. And uh, and Serena, uh, played by uh, NPR, wait, wait, don't tell me, regular panelist Faith Saley, <laughs> is, uh, is kind of a silent mousy girl who sits in the corner. I have a question about her, and maybe how many degrees of separation are we from the actor who plays Serena, do you think? Do you think... You think if we had a question, we could actually blow in a call? Oh, We've boy, got connections, I... right? Because here's my question. If you don't have any lines in an episode, are you paid like an extra? I don't know. Yeah, she definitely has more to do than your average extra. I wonder how scale works when you have no dialogue. You got to be paid the same as Morn, right? <laughs> I'm guessing she got more than Morn. I would hope so. She has a lot less to carry around. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. She was on Married with Children. I like that credit. That's fun. She's been on a lot of great stuff. You know, you see her you see her file photo and you see that smile and it's like it's like the clouds part. Yeah. But you never get that in this episode. She's kind of cast against type, I think. Yeah. Uh anyways, the mutes are not behaving very well. They they're very upset that they've been taken out of their comfort zone and, and brought to Deep Space Nine. They don't like the idea of Bashir. They don't like the idea of somebody that has, you know, the same uh descriptor as them, but that gets to live his life like a normal. It's the uh narcissism of minor differences, right? Like uh -huh. Bashir is is what might have been. Right. Yeah. Jack is very uh, emotionally immature about this. Lauren is like looking, lo looking longingly at a photo of Bashir and Jack breaks it and then uses the broken glass to cut the hand of their uh, of their minder. Sorry. Uh, Dr. Lowe's. You're not sorry. We both know that. I like this bit of business here. Like you don't have to show the broken glass. You just only have to show the effect of the broken glass on the hand. This is, a, the, this is a fun production trick. This is another Star Trek anticipating broken phone screens. Yeah. Like, like they, they not only in, invented the iPad, but they also invented the iPad that you drop. The effect is A to C because you don't even see Jack stomping this thing either. You never get to show the destruction of a prop. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's done off screen with audio. And, yeah, uh, good job. Yeah, I like Dr. Lowe's, like, being pretty cool about this, too. Like, he really shreds her hand, and she's like, that was really uncool, Jack. 
Why did you do that? She's displaying the heroism of teachers who work with special needs students. Like, it takes a lot. And, yeah. and they're, they're among the greatest people I've ever known. That, that's the sort of patience I will never understand. Yeah, like, that must be so hard to develop the instinct of, I'm not going to fly off the handle. Instead, I'm going to, like, de-escalate immediately. I wonder what the rate of, and I don't mean specifically Buddhist, but I mean, like, the idea of letting things go through you instead of stopping them is has got to be a quality for most teachers in this field. And I wonder statistically how many of them prescribe to that kind of way of being. Oh, I don't know. That's what my mom did for her entire career. And yeah. uh, she wasn't like that with me. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the wooden spoon scars to prove it. Yeah. There's a weird thing that happens in this episode, which is Dr. Lowe uh, comes out and, and runs into Bashir in the hallway outside and is like, yeah, they're ready for you. And then we go to theme song. And when we come back, He's coming into this room, but all the lights are off. Yeah, that's a very useful theme song. Like, did they turn the lights off the second Dr. Lowe left? Or... (laughs) I'm just wondering what the mechanics of this were. It does you no good to pull over into this ditch, Ben. (laughs) You're just going to drive yourself crazy. Okay, well, uh, he comes in. Lauren is very uh, keen to know uh, what kind of enhancements Bashir has. Uh, which is code for tell me about your dong. Right. And, I mean, Bashir has a real chance here to not dispute it in a way that benefits him. Tell me, Doctor, what kind of enhancements did your parents have done to you? You're the one who brought it up. If for no other reason than the comedy of it. Right. But he remains fairly professional in this moment. He could also use use this as leverage to try and ply her for a urine sample or something. Right. This kind of re- just reintroducing the premise, right? This scene. Like, we're going to hang out. You're going to see what it's like to be me, and I'm going to see what it's like to be you. I love how Bashir closes this scene. He's that You're not wrong with its repetition because Bashir goes and finds out for himself all of the things that Dr. Lowe has described to him in the previous before theme scene. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go to dinner. (laughs) And totally pieces out for dinner. Is this a cargo bay that they're hanging out in? It's a great question. And I was thinking this for most of the episode, where the hell are they? And why are they doing this here? Yeah. I guess they're locked down, right? Like the, the implication is kind of that they can't leave, right? That they're a safety concern for the station. Yeah. I mean, there are places on the station tailor-made for the sort of lockdown (laughs) that they need, and I don't know why they're not using those places. Yeah. I mean, you don't want Jack to just slip out the door and go cutting people with iPad screens. No. He's a danger to himself and everyone else. Yeah. I liked this dinner party. It It was the whole cast minus Jake. Yeah, for some reason, Jake isn't there. (laughs) And it seems to be the after-dinner part of a dinner party, where everyone's sort of either having their after-dinner drink or their after-dinner coffee, and Bashir is holding court about his mission for the coming days. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Did you think it was weird that Worf and Dax didn't sit next to each other at this hang? That you're implying that maybe things aren't great in their household? I'm reading the tea leaves that they go to a dinner party and are newlyweds that are not all over each other. I don't know. I I mean, are you a side-sitter? What are you doing? I'm side-sitting. You can't side-sit with me. Is that what you are? (laughs) Because I I think I would be sitting across from my wife in a situation like this. They put either Cisco or Bashir in between themselves. Mm. Yeah, and then Bashir's just sort of leaning against a planter or something. What's he doing? Yeah. He's not making himself comfortable. He's also the single along with Kira, right? Right. But Kira's sitting next to Odo. Yeah. Most of them are singles. What am I talking yeah. about? They're sort of talking about, you know, what what enables Bashir to be a productive member of society and what's different with these with these folks. Kind of an awkward conversation, right? Because a lot of people still hold a lot of very negative opinions about 
the genetically enhanced and give voice to them without thinking about the fact that Bashir is sitting right there. If people like them are allowed to compete freely, then parents would feel pressured to have their children enhanced so they could keep up. You know what this conversation felt to me like was, and and this opens up a broader question, do you think Bashir is a race of person? And the reason I asked that question is that something interesting happens here conversationally, which is he says things about himself that make it uncomfortable for someone like Worf to join in in right. similar descriptions in a way that feels very familiar in that same way. It's not as if we're trying to exclude them from anything. I'm sure you run into this a lot with, with, with your wife and her family. Like, they can talk about their religion in a way that you possibly couldn't, couldn't criticize. Yeah, except way. for... It's weird because, like... The the kind of thing Bashir is is not a protected group. It's it's the opposite. Like right. he's actively and legally discriminated against in the Federation. Like he's he's got special dispensation to continue yeah. to be part of Starfleet. But like what? But conversationally, have, it feels very similar. Yeah, yeah. Like what should have happened according to the law of the land is what happened to these other four people. It's so interesting that more than just the broad idea of of the idea of eugenics being quote unquote bad, it's about fairness more than that. That's what right. this conversation's about. Like we can't allow the tampering to happen because that's gonna give some people advantage over other people. And that's not fair. Well, and it'll also force everyone to seek that advantage. And the counterpoint to it is like, well, we can't blame these people for their circumstance it was out of their control their parents made them do it it was thrust upon them and uh they're they're all very uncomfortable (laughs) like it sort of falls to bashir to put them at ease like yeah you know like this isn't easy stuff to talk about and uh, and you know classically cisco sensing how awkward the room has gotten switches the conversation to contemporary politics yeah he's great at this yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the ongoing war and what Damar is going to say in his big speech. It's not a surprise why Picard never attended dinner parties like these. <laughs> like, would this be the direction that he would be compelled to steer any conversation? Yeah, I did like the callback in this scene when they start all screaming at each other about politics, and Cisco sits back and goes. I should have stopped doing this a long time ago. (laughs) Bashir gets a gets a call from Jack. Jack who has evidently hacked into the comm system. Jack is a pretty leet hacksaw. Yeah. It's a hostage situation in progress. Yeah. The noise that he had been complaining earlier about uh, has has not abated, so Bashir goes down. Uh, to whatever this cargo bay is to to look in on them. And um, it's something that the, the mutes can hear, but other people cannot. Do you think that we were supposed to hear it through our TVs? I really tried to hear it. I couldn't. Oh, really? Did you, yeah. did, you, did you turn up the volume? I did. See if there was anything in there? You know, the way you used to be able to hear CRT TVs and that like high-pitched whine, I thought for sure it would be diegetic audio in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe it was like one of those sounds like uh, like they play in fancy stores in the UK where if you're over a certain age, you can't hear it. But if you're under a certain age, it's very annoying. Oh, yeah. It's to keep the, the skateboarding teenagers yeah. out of your store. Yeah. These, uh, these mutants are, have the hearing acuity of no good teens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and how do you solve a problem like a high-pitched noise? Uh, you bring in O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Yeah. He's going to bang on the pipes, figure out what's, what's vibrating, and, yeah. uh, and straighten it up. Straighten it out. Patrick the Old sort of confides in O'Brien a, a special ability. His special ability is that he not only can hear this, he knows what the likely cause of the noise is and directs. O'Brien uh, in the ways in which to fix it. Sounds like the plasma flows out of sync. You're right. Better realign it. Yeah, these guys are always like 
10 or 12 steps ahead of everyone and uh, as O'Brien is fixing this the the TV kicks on and it's DeMar's big speech and one of the ways they are demonstrating themselves to be ahead of everyone else is that they're they're picking up on unsaid things in the speech like the fact that DeMar doesn't want to be giving it the fact that DeMar recently did murder um, DeMar has has ascended to the uh, the seat that Ducat vacated when uh, when he went cuckoo after Zial was killed. I'm happy for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, not a not a great political system when the way you ascend to a higher rank is by killing the daughter of the person that had the job you want. Yeah. Pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, uh, what Damar is calling for is a uh, a peace conference with the Federation. They, they want to uh, lay their sword and shield down and, uh, and uh, cease hostilities between Cardassia slash the Dominion and the Federation. And, uh, and these mutants are very suspicious of what his motives might be. They glean all of this information just from reading the body language and scrutinizing the word choice here, right? Yeah. Like, it's kind of a magic trick here. Someone's making him say all this. He doesn't want to. He's clearly reading off of a prompter because he's, like, looking to <laughs> and fro. Right, yeah. And and when the prompter goes down for a second, he starts rambling and talking about stuff that just makes no sense. It's not and a good look, and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. No, but, but yet the Federation News Network covers it as though it is normal and not alarming in any way. Yeah, I think a responsible news org would cut away when right. when it's just outright lies. When the misinformation is a threat to public safety. Yeah. Yeah, sensible choice. In Ops, Bashir relays this story to Kira and Dax in a, you're never going to believe this, but we were watching that Damar speech, and these unpopular X-Men like knew exactly... <laughs> Knew exactly what Damar's whole backstory is. It was wild. And for once, they weren't, like, running around the room screaming and shitting themselves. Like, they actually gave a shit. So I've left the TV on in their room uh, just to give them something to pay attention to. It's actually much better for everyone that way. (laughs) Yeah. Bashir wants to encourage more exercises like this, but he's running out of material. Right. Where are they going to get the materials, Ben? God fucking damn it. For these mutants to consult. So glad that I told you that story, and now you have become the Alex Jurassi of my of my adult life. I know. <laughs> so th- that is when Cisco makes a an opportune appearance. He uh, he walks in and says, "Demar and Wayun will be arriving in the morning, and I have been deputized to do the peace conference with them." And Bashir goes back down and breaks the good news to his uh, his team who are going to get to watch this in full holographic reproduction. You are aware this motion picture is shown in feel-around? Yes. When the conference starts. We cut to the arrival of Wayun and Damar, and Kira's welcome wagon is on fire. <laughs> it's got gun turrets in it, yeah. and uh, it's got tank treads. Yeah. It's, it's very threatening. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. How nice to see you again. Any of you fucking pricks move! The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles battle wagon of welcome wagons. It is. Uh, she's firing pizzas at them. <laughs> Gets ugly. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Cisco's got to send another hospitality coordinator <laughs> to meet Wayun and Tamar, right? Yeah, like... I think that's, that's on Cisco. I think. It's not on Kira. Let me send my number one, who is the most traumatized by these people because she recently had to spend months aboard the station alone with them. And was briefly imprisoned by them. Right. <laughs> Whose life was in danger every day they were here. Let's have her welcome them back. Right. We cut to the hollow matrix projection you were describing, Ben, and this adds a little bit more information to the question, what is this room that they're in? Because it seems to have the abilities of a hollow suite, but it's much, much bigger than a hollow suite, and it's configured far differently. Yeah. Like, does your average cargo bay have a hollow matrix installed? Does your average cargo bay have a fainting couch in the middle? (laughs) Right there in the middle. Yeah, not an efficient use of the space. <laughs> uh, they're they're watching parts of this back in Dominionese, uh, which is uh, helping 
the mutants because they've they've taught themselves dominionese and they can they can tell because of subtleties in the conjugation that Wayun is being deceptive and th- what they've worked out is that the the dominion is at great pains to draw a line that looks like they are giving the federation a very generous uh, concession but in fact includes the cabrel system on the dominion side of the line Uh, which would be great for them because the Cabrel system happens to have a planet that has vegetation on it that would be, would enable them to manufacture more of that white, white, white. So Cabrel, uh, for the purposes of this episode, we can just think of as being Bolivia. I might fade into Bolivian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad they didn't go with their first version of how the Cabrel system had the resources for the white, which was just rivers have come <laughs> the white rivers of cabrel three come and visit <laughs> try to get over the smell it's very offensive you'll think you're in that one span of a, a couple weeks in the spring in brooklyn yeah where it smells like that because of those weird trees yeah is come your favorite season then <laughs> cabrel may be for you I like the scene where Bashir is uh, is walking Cisco through this because it's like a, a comedy routine where he keeps adding iPads to the to the argument. That's fun. And Cisco is like game and curious to learn what they've worked out. Are you telling me that there's a planet that smells exactly like for some reason Jake's room? <laughs> <laughs> and we almost gave it up to them without a fight <laughs> the recommendation they're making is like yeah give them cabrel like like take this concession give them cabrel because if we if we insist that we get cabrel they're going like it forces their hand they will have to attack us with everything they've got because if they run out of white, they're totally screwed. If we give them Bolivia, they're going to go have a party for a little while, and we can use that time to bolster our forces, maybe draw the Romulans into the war. This could be great for us. It will buy us time to rebuild our defenses. I really appreciate the many problems in this episode that appear to be reverse-engineered from their solutions. Right. And and there are many examples of this throughout the episode, but this is maybe the first and most pronounced you get a sense for this quality of problem solving that the uninteresting x-men are able to present and yeah. uh, and it's cool and it's interesting to see cisco almost horrified at his sense of diplomacy like oh god what have i almost done here right i almost gave them exactly what they what they want so uh speaking of parties turns into a little bit of a party for the mutants uh, Bashir goes back down in the cargo bay slash hollow suite slash dormitory and right. uh, the uninteresting X-Men are, are, are very excited they're popping champagne, they're putting on party hats, they're uh, they're dancing with each other. There's some indication that Serena and and Jack kind of have a thing for each other, but but they're kind of unwilling to act on it. So A scene like this might answer the question of why this room? And it's because... What are we seeing here? We're seeing like handoffs sequentially. You're seeing the dancing and the celebrating in the foreground. You're seeing other people do other things in the background. You're right. you're seeing these camera moves in, and you could only do that in a space this big. Yeah. You couldn't do this in the wardroom, for example, because the ceilings aren't high there. I kind of wonder, though, like what stipulated what? Like, was there a first draft of this script where there was a lot of business about like getting them securely from one part of the station to the other or yeah. they go like you know what this is just gonna like flow a lot better and be easier if we just build a set specifically for this or you know just use one of our cargo bay standing sets and don't fill it with barrels and pallets yeah it sure seems likely that that's that's the way that it went down yeah so O'Brien interrupts this party he uh he comes in saying he's like gotta gotta keep working on that loose pipe or whatever um, they're on to him right away. You don't got a loose pipe to work on, man. You fucking want to hang out with Bashir. Like us. We like to hang out with Bashir, too. You want me to play with you, do you, Chief? 
Look at how much fun he is to hang out with. Clearly, you want to hit this. <laughs> He's taught us all about some of his great hobbies, like throwing darts and drinking piss. You know, honestly, we've grown tired of the piss drinking. <laughs> what do you think is in this bottle? It's not champagne. <laughs> so are you saying... Uh, what your theory presupposes is that maybe all genetically modified in the Star Trek universe enjoy drinking piss? It's a unfortunate side effect of gene resequencing. Wow. Or fortunate, depending on how you look at it. I don't know. Wow. So these are the piss-thirsty X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to work within the constraints of the unblank X-Men model, they would be the Unthirsty X-Men? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, is in thirsty, like inflammable, yeah. where it means the same as flammable? Right, right, right. <laughs> O'Brien kind of takes umbrage with Bashir's condescension in this scene, because Bashir is like really leaning into the idea of the unthirsty X-Men's hypothesis. Like, yeah. you, are, you do miss me, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. tell. Speaking of thirsty, O'Brien, you're thirsty for friendship, but the thirst trap works, right? Because Bashir goes off with O'Brien, they have a darts hang, and I, I really like this because they're kind of, they're doing bits with each other about like how how brilliant Bashir is, and they're kind of talking about this weird reality while also like busting each other's chops like, oh yeah, you're so fucking brilliant, you have to stand so much further back playing darts simpleton like me like how could i ever hope to impress you i like how they carry that sensibility from the previous scene into this one it makes the transition seem totally fluid right again i wish i didn't use the word fluid in a scene with bashir but you know what i mean it's it's very difficult to talk about bashir and not have idioms start to sound like you're saying something about what he's into the most uh yeah So later on, Bashir tells this crew that Starfleet will allow them access to classified intelligence materials. What? (laughs) Yeah. And with that material, I guess this party devolves into them running some more numbers, which uh, leads Bashir to reporting to Cisco that the war is hopeless. They never get close to describing their powers this way. And I think if they had, this fragile deck of brain cards would collapse because what I'm made to understand from this scene is that the assembled, uncomfortable X-Men are able to do is do computing power on strategic plans. Right. They're taking fleet deployments and they're and they're putting them into their own personal brain computers and then outputting these possible outcomes here in a way that seems like yeah. computers would and should be doing. They're like a beautiful minding it, like they're walking yeah. through a room and it's just full of equations and shapes and stuff. It's interesting that they never make such an equivalence in a way that I think would help me understand more just how much intelligence exists in that room because everyone's so silly. I never take their intelligence seriously. Right. I don't like it any more than you do. I mean, I think also, critically, they don't really talk in terms of probability. Yeah. They just talk in terms of certainty. Yeah. It's like the Nate Silver thing where if he says the election is 80% assured in this way and the 20% chance thing happens everybody's like but you said 80 percent and right there's like a reason why 20 percent exists in that scenario right and that's the thing i was struggling with was like for the rest of the episode like like bashir has this big conversation with cisco like yeah basically nothing you can do so in order to like mitigate the the downsides of the war you should surrender now you'll save 900 billion lives not on my watch and in like five generations, a resistance will rise up and crush the Dominion. But for now, we just have to take the L and uh, and and like mitigate the damage. But it's not like there is a ninety-eight percent chance that the Dominion wins this war. So you might as well surrender. It's like the Dominion is gonna win this war. This number is so massive that. I mean, up until now, did we know how many people were in the Federation in totality? Does 900 billion sound low or high from from where you would guess? 
Boy, I don't know. I mean, there's like the big four founding worlds, but then there's lots and lots of colony worlds and, mm -hmm. and worlds that have signed up after the fact. I guess casualties of war include civilians. So yeah. maybe. Oh, does casualties mean deaths and injuries? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know war terminology. I In the context of this episode, I think they're just talking about deads. Listen, I think about war for one hour a week. Yeah! That's right, and on the one, show Friendly Fire, Only right? one hour a week. I don't think about it aside from that. Yeah, you, your brain turns off completely uh, <laughs> once you say the tagline about the spoiler alerts. Yeah, I've, I, I have never retained anything that we've talked about on that show. I don't remember any of the movies, really. Yeah. I think that's evident in how I am as a co-host of the show. <laughs> that's a character you play. That's not how you are in yeah. real life. So speaking of probabilities, like Bashir is very angry that Cisco has decided not to throw the towel in on the project of his civilization and goes down to Quark's to quote unquote prove a point by playing Dabo, which is rigged in the house's favor, like every casino game. And this is like a perfect opportunity to talk about, yeah, like you're probably going to lose, but you might win. That's the point. Yeah, this is a real Benjamin R. Harrison in a casino scene for Dr. Bashir, uh -huh. and I'm the real quark of the moment. <laughs> when I walk into a casino, all I see is equations and shapes floating yeah. in the air, and, uh, and I know that they're all, all of those equations are, are against me. Bashir has the five o'clock shadow of frustration and bad news from here on out. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Oh, I, did, I didn't pick up on that. He's not taking as good care of himself. No, much like us. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien feels the same way as Cisco, right? Because Bashir has confided this all in O'Brien. I guess there are no rules about keeping this information secret from an enlisted man. Yeah. You're not as smart as you think you are. Like, hey, as long as we're giving classified information to these wackos in the cargo bay, let's just kind of loosen up the rules in general. Bashir's surprised that O'Brien feels the same way. And, and the idea of a fighting chance is what O'Brien presents, you know? Like, in the same way as you're talking about that, that 20%, the Nate Silver 20%. Like, right. probability versus possibility. Right. And, and O'Brien... And Zisco are like, let's not give up now. Like, you know, we don't stand for this because the math is on our side. We stand for it because it's what we believe in. And, you know, if the, if the, if the generation, five generations from us is going to have to rise up and crush the Dominion, let's fucking uh, give them something, you know, give them something to model, model themselves on. Is Bashir piss drunk here? Because he sort of staggers out of quarks at the end. He does, like, rant and rave in a way that was kind of unsettling. Maybe the undrunk X-Men are uh, kind of rubbing <laughs> off on him a little bit. Yeah, where are the other medical professionals here? I think he needs to be walked home. Yeah. Morn, morn. Morn. Sweet. Morn. 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 You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. Instead, he walks to the cargo bay and gets... His light's punched out by Jack. Bashir tries to order another piss, and Quark's like, haven't you had enough? <laughs> I'm, I'm cutting you off, Dr. Bashir. <laughs> He's like, fine, I'll make it myself. He grabs the mug and then puts it under the bar. <laughs> so Bashir staggers into the room of the, uh, the unsocially capable X-Men. <laughs> And, uh, and and Jack presents the idea of treason. If, if Starfleet rejects the recommendation of surrender, then maybe we give this information about fleet deployment directly to the Dominion. And Bashir's like, we can't do that. We, we tried our best and we failed. Let's just leave it at that. But this isn't good enough for Jack, so Jack punches his lights out. The math is 2 billion casualties versus 900 billion casualties if they don't. Yeah. So yeah. it's just good math. It's perfect math. Bashir has been taken off the board. We cut to Damar and Wayun uh, conspiring in their uh, stateroom. Damar is a little upset that the peace talks are not moving as quickly as he had hoped, but uh, Wayun is excited because he's gotten an anonymous tip from an anonymous person that some undefined information that will help the Dominion is on offer. What sort of information? I don't know. So he and Damar are going to go 
look into that. Do you feel like Wayun big dogs Demar more than he ever did Ducat? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just that Ducat already has kind of an imperious personality. He like comes to comes to those interactions on a little bit e- more even of footing. But also, like Demar is the one that got the job from Wayun, whereas right. du- Ducat like negotiated his job. We cut back to that mystery room, and Bashir is in there alone. He's tied up and combadgeless. <laughs> and the only other person there is Serena. And yes. Bashir attempts to lawyer Bashir her. <laughs> he says, Serena, I know that I'm quite wet, and I know that that has an awful smell to it. <laughs> but if you could come over here and loosen these handcuffs... I've attempted to piss all over my handcuffs in order to loosen them. (laughs) I thought that maybe the acid would eat through them or it would lubricate my wrists enough to pull my hands through or something, but it hasn't worked and I need your help. All it's done is made me very thirsty. (laughs) We get some nice show and not tell because we don't see Serena become convinced. We cut to Jack and crew wandering the station, and then they're confronted by Bashir, so that's how we know. Right. And uh, I, I really liked the uh, the point Bashir makes here, which is like, yeah, you're like willing to sell out the entire Federation because you're so confident in these calculations, but you failed to calculate that Serena would untie me and put a stop to your plans. So let's get off our high horses here and uh, not be so entirely emphatically certain that we're correct about this. Bashir gives Jack a sort of easy way or the hard way ultimatum. What is he talking about? Is he threatening to shoot them in that hallway? If they if they don't return back to the room or what? Yeah, or like arrest them and incarcerate them because they're already kind yeah. of incarcerated. I was unclear about where that threat came from. Uh, Odo arrests Domar and Wayun. Or whatever. I mean, they're not going to get in jail. No. Uh, Let me see your wrists. I've got to slap them. (laughs) There you go. And there's one for you. We came closer to the destruction of the Federation in this episode than we do in almost any episode. And it was just, uh, it was really just uh, Serena making the right choice in that moment that that stopped it. And it actually blows up the entire sense of self that Jack and the uncomfortable X-Men have had, the confidence in their abilities, because the case that Bashir makes is that if Jack didn't see the double cross from Serena coming, then what else didn't you account for in your statistical probability of Federation v. Dominion War? I mean, they're still pretty confident in it. Like, Bashir has not exactly shaken their their beliefs but part of what was fun about this for them was getting to feel like they were involved and like doing something of value for the their society right and uh and and being told like now now children uh like that won't be necessary anymore uh has got to feel really terrible we get kind of a button on the episode here where O'Brien comforts Bashir and his defeat, and and I guess we're defining Bashir's defeat as being unable to nurse the uninteresting X-Men into being able to rejoin society, or not having his surrender plan accepted by Starfleet. Right. Bashir is clearly defeated by what's happened here, but I don't know. He drank the Kool-Aid, right? Like, he believed in this hook, line, and sinker, mm-hmm. he checked all the numbers and believed in it, and he now has to, like, he now has to believe in the counter-argument that he was the one making, that there's, it's impossible to anticipate every variable, and that's, uh, you know, something that probably is going to take some time. Is it a little dark that Dr. Lowe's whole deal was about rehabilitation and therapy and Bashir just basically used these people for for intelligence. <laughs> like that's sort of the the defeat vibe makes me think that at the end. Like Bashir's big plan of using them strategically failed, and that's why he feels bad. Yeah. Like he's he's happy that they're going to be put on a transport ship home. 
Yeah. At this point, he's happy to be free of them. But also, like, sad that, like, I I thought that the thing O'Brien said about, like, you, you want to save lives and that's why you're a doctor and you tried to save 900 billion and failed. <laughs> like, that was, that was pretty heavy. Like, the, the math of that is yeah. pretty pretty nuts quark sidles over and he's like i know what it's like to save lives by doing nothing yeah. at all quark is like i know exactly how you feel shouldn't i have uh, put you on like the persona non grata list for this bar after that <laughs> fucking stunt you pulled last time you were here is it even possible to get kicked out of quark's bar <laughs> real question i don't know doesn't seem to be so it's time for bashir's gang of geniuses to leave but they want to see him before saying goodbye yeah they've got a request right Shut the fuck up! They just want to be listened to. Like, they want uh, they want to keep workshopping this problem. And Bashir promises that uh, that he will not send their email into junk automatically. Right. Like, he will read their messages. Yeah, like, we'll, we'll start to try and think of moonshot ways to kick the Dominion's ass. And if we come up with something, can we holler at you? I can't think of anything I'd like better. And Bashir's like, holler at your boy. Holler at your boy. All right, get out of here, you you four. And they beam out, leaving that daybed empty yeah. for the first time since they arrived. Lauren lays one on him before yeah. leaving. It's surprising that Lauren's in as good shape as she obviously is, because she never seems to get out of that bed. She should be showing signs of muscular deterioration. Yeah, shouldn't she have, like, bed sores? <laughs> <laughs> Extremely low muscle tone. Yeah, yeah, she should be in bad shape. <laughs> you really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. Did you like the episode, Adam? It got close to asking interesting questions in an interesting way, but instead it just asked interesting questions in a superficial kind of way. Like, I like thinking about how much people are willing to sacrifice ahead of a prospect of a lot of people dying. I think that is a ever-present thing that we're thinking about at the moment. The question of, like, proportional sacrifice is interesting to me, and those are very, like, Star Trek show-type ideas to consider, and those are very science fiction ideas to consider. Whether or not the show specifically does a capable job of asking mm-hmm. them. I think it's hard because like there's a version of this episode where this gang of geniuses are not cuckoo's nest people. <laughs> they're not they're not buffoons. Yeah. What would the version of this episode be if you know these guys were brought to the station in chains because they tried to pull this shit on earth. Like they weren't meant for normal society because they kept like, they kept winning the lottery, yeah, for example. But like, they kept using their knowledge of, st- of statistics as a way to cheat their way through society in a way that was dangerous. And so what if we brought them to the station, gathered them, and then used them as the... Uh, like the dirty dozen of think tanks. That's what I'm saying. Like, the think tankification of this story is really interesting to me, and I wonder why they chose to cripple it by, by making everyone a little bit of a punchline. Yeah, I mean, they sort of hinted that with Jack, that he's got, like, he's got some violence in him, and I thought that if he felt more, like, physically dangerous, like, he is constantly, like, hiding knives in his pockets and stuff, or or something, like, or, like, Hannibal Lecter kind of intelligence, where he sees all the angles, but is also going to take any opportunity he can to eat somebody, if, if an opportunity presents itself. I mean, what we're proposing here is budget neutral, too. Like, yeah. you could still use the same sets, the same costumes, the same actors. It's Patrick just a, could throw his cum at somebody. Right. The idea of 900 billion is such a large and scary number, but are you ever scared in this episode in a way that I think could be affecting and interesting? I want to yeah. be scared by that number. Yeah. But every time you cut back and forth... You know, from Bashir presenting this intel to Cisco and then Cisco promising to send it to Starfleet Command, we cut back to the uncouth X Men. <laughs> and look, I can understand if the whole point of the episode was not to be so intense. We're getting a lot of those this season. Yeah. So if that's what the goal was, then 
then cool. So what about you? I think I kind of liked the episode. I agree with a lot of your criticism, but I did really like the huge time scale stuff that they do in this episode. Yeah. Like, I think it's kind of an imperfect way to get there, but the thinking about, like, five generations in the future for the Federation, the second Federation being better and more... And, and and more like cogently founded than the first and lasting for thousands of years like such an interesting idea it kind of reminded me of uh of the foundation uh novels mm. like like thinking about history and time spans that are like way way beyond the lifespan of a single human and trying to control for that is such a is such a fun sci-fi concept and yeah i'm not in love with this episode but i I appreciate it for getting us into some of that headspace. Yeah, I mean, one of those episodes where the conversation makes me like the episode more than than just yeah. seeing it. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to uh, see if we have any Priority One messages that last thousands of years? <laughs> I hope they're that good. That should be the goal, right? Yeah, pretty impressive to do that with the uh, character limit imposed by the Maximum Fun organization, but... No pressure, guys. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship! Ben, our first priority one message is from our friends with the Facebook group for ExoCooks. We love those guys. The message goes like this. You and FOD, active on Facebook and in a ton of weird subgroups. Our theory presupposes that maybe you want to join one more. Join us in the greatest ExoCook, where there's contests, memes, games, recipes, and quality content. Ben and Adam, some questions for you. Views on lasagna. Pro. Also pro. Popcorn or movie theater candy? Going candy on this one. I like both, TBH, and I will get both. <laughs> and I won't finish either. It's very wasteful. <laughs> uh, what are your favorite French foods to say? I like cassoulet. I like bum frites. I like steak au poivre. A French onion soup. But andouillette sausage is a war crime. What are your favorite pizza toppings? I like going like a uh, sausage and onion. Or, uh, oh, a really good combination is grilled onions, basil, garlic, and bacon. Oh. It's a really good pizza topping combo. There was a pizza place back in Seattle that my wife and I really liked uh, that used to do a garlic and pepperoni pizza where the, (laughs) the garlic would be fried garlic. And it would be yeah, so nice. A little bit of uh, crunch with the, the spice. Mm, sounds I miss, tasty. I missed that pie. All right, final question. Who do you think is a better cook, Riker or Cisco? <laughs> right, now, we're talking about Ben Cisco, I'm imagining, and not his father. Yeah. Boy, we've seen... I think we see Riker cook one quote-unquote omelet in TNG... Uh-huh. Which makes most of the people that aren't Worf sick. Uh-huh. And then we see him cook a pizza in Star Trek colon Picard. Right. And that's, that seems, like, pretty good. Yeah. Like, it, it seems, seems like he's turned it around by that point in his career. I mean, and that's the goal, right? You're never going to be perfect in the kitchen, but you just want to keep getting better. Yeah. But I think that Ben Sisko is more of a confusing case because his father is a restaurateur... And Ben Sisko has a passion for cooking, right. but doesn't know how to cut vegetables. That's one apple that fell off the tree, hit the stump, and then <laughs> shot out 40 feet <laughs> down a hill. Yeah. Coming yeah. to rest very far away from the tree. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go that... with Riker just because I feel like I could eat more pizzas in my life than I could eat Nerland's food, you know? Really? I think so. I think you're wrong about that. I would go crawfish etouffee over pizza any day of the week. I don't know, man. How many etouffees could you eat week in and week out before feeling just really bad? I would, I would love... 
You'd love you know, to try. I, I love a nice jambalaya. I love a nice gumbo. You I love break both it of up. those. I love them. Maybe my problem is I've never had a crawfish etouffee. I've never had a crawfish. Well, uh, thanks to those at the greatest exocook, uh, they are among my favorite fringe friends of DeSoto groups. I love, yeah. I love hearing that they're still cooking over there. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, thank you for the uh, for the P1. Uh, we have a, a personal P1 here as well. Uh, this one is from Ari, and it's to Lara, and it goes like this. Happy birthday to my favorite person, the one who saves me a lot, and the one who makes me feel like I always have an extra pip on my collar. I am proud to be your co-captain in all things. That's great. Yeah. Co-captains. It's not captain and XO. There's a quality here. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Two-captain rotation. <laughs> Well, uh, if you'd like to get a Priority One message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we sure appreciate it because it helps us keep the lights on around here. Hey, Adam. It's that Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I think very simply the drunk Shimoda of this episode is Starfleet Command. <laughs> Starfleet wow. Command with almost limited computing power. Instead, for some reason, uh, taking the advice of this gang of quote-unquote geniuses. <laughs> like, they don't take the advice, which is right and good, but they consider it and... I don't know about that. Who are the belt buckles in charge over there who are even considering this advice? Those are my Shimoda. Those belt buckles are really weighing their brains down. Those are my Shimoda. Mine is Wayun, who are uh, taking a meeting with an anonymous tipster. He he and the head of the Cardassian state go slinking around in a in a cargo bay somewhere not knowing who has contacted them or what the quality of the information <laughs> proffered might be yeah uh, i think you just got to be a lot more cautious than that when you're somebody like wayun i mean they're both kind of heads of state and yet they walk around the station unprotected right yeah yeah what, what would stop anyone from taking a shot at either of these guys they this is a public place like, Wayun would fall for an email scam, you know? Like, like totally. he, would, he would be convinced that there was a relative of his that was stuck in Europe and needed $2,000 to get home. Right, right. It's interesting neither of them comment on returning to the station, right? Like, it's fairly soon after their evacuation, and the, yeah. that's, that's one way to put out the fire that is Kira's welcome wagon, right? Yeah, just like, say like, wow, I see you've let maintenance slip a little bit. This yeah. hallway is quite dirty. Still taking care of my quarters for me until I return, <laughs> Kira? Yeah. yeah, that would have been fun. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? 
Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? And how, pray tell, will we be recapping it? Well, uh, I will tell you about that while you fire up the game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets. The next episode is Season 6, Episode 10, The Magnificent Ferengi. Quark leads a Ferengi mission to rescue his mother from the Dominion. Wow. Uh, this seems like a heady combination of comedy and very, very serious. Yeah, yeah, a lot of daring do <laughs> on in the uh, among the Ferengi when they get together and go on a mission. So, uh, yeah, do you want to uh, roll that bone and tell us how we'll be doing it? I I would love to. Ben, we're currently on square thirty-eight, uh, and. Boy, it looks like there is nothing within range of our square at the moment. I would have wow. to roll a eight to get us to a Coco Nono, and I don't like my chances of that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems pretty far from your traditional one roll. <laughs> I've rolled a four this time, though. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Uh, which lands us on square 42. Regular old episode for us. All right. Inching our way back up the board. It seems like we cannot get to that Mornhammered square no matter what we do. I wonder if we'll get to it before the end of DS9. Shit. What would you, what would you say the chances are of that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no mutant. I'm no <laughs> unthinkable X-Men. If only we had those guys to help us. Yeah. Figure they would, it out. Bashir would spit that number right out. I know. Well, uh... One thing we spit out at the end of every episode are the the many friends of DeSoto we thank for their assistance, their kind assistance in the production of the show. We start with Adam Ragusea this time. Uh, he kitbashed the great music created by Dark Materia and uh, chopped it all up into fun theme and interstitial music that we use on the show every time. We also got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who makes hilarious trading cards about every episode of the show. He posts those using the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter, where Adam is at CutForTime and I'm at BenjaminAHR. Uh, you can also find groups like Greatest Exo Cooks and all other 
all other sub-interests of Greatest Gen on Facebook, and there's a Greatest Gen subreddit. I think there's a Discord. Pretty sure there's a Wikia. Who knows? There's lots of things. You know, support for the show is more important now as ever. I mean, in these uncertain times, Ben and I keep making the show, not knowing what'll happen in the weeks to come. Yeah. Uh, if, if this is something that provides a comfort to you, and if you can swing it, uh, we'd appreciate your support over at MaximumFun.org slash join. We sure would. And uh, thanks to everyone who stuck with us, um, and uh, we're thinking about you out there. Yeah, and with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation that forgets all of the many lessons given to (laughs) us by Akira Kurosawa. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.